views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. to this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. And it is a Wednesday night. It is March the 6th, 2019. My little brother, Carlton, shout out to him uh, up in the Ohio area. Just had a birthday the other day. Um, Gotta take care of fam. Gotta stay in touch with fam. Look out for fam. But welcome to this broadcast. We got a very um, exciting show lined up for you tonight. Of course, I'm here. Uh, Maxwell Melvins is here. We got Mother Khadijah. We got Brother Tyson. And we will have some special guests joining us in just a couple of minutes. Uh, We are looking to be joined by two artists working with Max and others on the Die Jim Crow Project. Now, I like music, and I'm particularly a hip-hop head. Um, I already listened to a couple of the tracks. Now, I can't share this full track. We're going to get just a taste of it because uh, it's not radio clean, and I'm sure you know by the time the project is complete, we'll have some radio clean. But I'm liking what I'm hearing, though, you know, uh, as an adult, and um, just inspired to hear about the inspiration behind the Die Jim Crow. Again, this is a multimedia concept album about the black American experience in the era of mass incarceration. It is the first album that will ever be recorded in multiple U.S. prisons. And so, you know, we're looking forward to speaking with artists associated with this project, Fury Young and B.L. Sherell. But before we get started... Let me just give out a little bit of news about the network itself. As everybody know, or should know, New Abolitionist Radio started on the Black Talk Radio Network as a weekly radio program to focus on the 13th Amendment. 
and that prison slavery that Michelle Alexander then started calling mass incarceration and that became a popular term but but you know we started new abolitionist radio on the black talk radio network just to raise awareness that slavery was never abolished the 13th amendment exception clause makes that makes that clear and so you know New Abolitionist Radio has been a big part of the Black Talk Radio Network family and part of the podcast that we send out as a community podcast along with other shows. And I just got some good news in terms of, um, you know, our platform, Black Talk Radio Network. Um, There was a tech company, a marketing and research company um, that also hosts a search engine just strictly for audio podcasts. And also uh, radio, just basically media. You know, tonight our guest, we're, we're talking about a multimedia uh, concept in the album Die Jim Crow. But we're talking about podcasting, uh, digital radio, which we have been involved with since 2008 with the founding of the Black Talk Media Project. And we were just ranked by this marketing and research firm. This, Granted, listeners, this was not a popularity contest. This was not a platform where people were saying, oh, submit your favorite podcast, and then we're going to put it to the public vote, and then we're going to come out with a list with the most popular podcast. No, this was some actual scientific, uh, anal- uh, de- um, what they call it, SEO, search engine optimization and, and analytics and AI um, you know, just drilling down into the information. And according to the analysis of this marketing and research inform- firm, the Black Talk Radio Network is the number one platform for black audio podcasts, people using that term, searching for that term. And, you know, it's it's just worth noting, you know, we've been around for 11 years um, currently doing a fundraiser to see if we will make it to a 12th year. Um, but it's just important, you know, um, well, I shouldn't say it's important because outside recognition isn't important. We've known for a long time the value of what we do um, by the numbers of people that consume it. But it's always good to get outside confirmation of what you always know, but also to get not just an opinion, but um, the facts and the data. The data matters, as they say. And so I'm excited you know, I was excited to accept the award. You know, it's a top 25 black podcast uh, reward. And I'm excited as the president of the Black Talk Media Project to accept that award from um, a feed, feed spot. It's the name of the company, Feedspot. They analyze all types of media feeds on video, audio, uh, um, print, all of that. So I accept, you know, on behalf of the Black Talk Radio Network family as the president of Black Talk Media Project, um, that award. And so that belongs to, to all of us. And it's just, you know, um, um, just proof of the reach that we have by utilizing new media uh, tools to create our own digital media, not... Uh, fall up under the control of corporations or governments and you know this is truly grassroots media so got that out the way i want um want to turn it over to maxwell here in a moment because maxwell is a participant of this die jim crow project so he'll make the perfect host 
um, to lead us in discussion. But let me just tell y'all a little bit about the second half hour after we speak to our guests. We will focus on prisoners' human rights and specifically their health care and the lack of inclusion of prisoners and their issues when we see these presidential candidates, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, uh, um, you name them, you know, it, it's a bunch of them, uh, Julian Castro. They're talking about issues for the people or they're proposing for the people. But guess who's getting left out the conversation of the people? And that's prisoners. Now, their human rights did come up at the U.N. Uh, human Rights Council a recent event they had, we actually, you know, posted the video from that where they did mention prisoners' human rights. But it's always important. I think we as the new abolitionist community or whatever, you know, activist label you use to identify your group and you care about prisoners' issues, we have to do a better job at using social media tools, at using old school media tools like the telephone or sending emails or using Twitter to to include prisoners in these conversations or their issues in their conversation. All of them are not able to participate in these conversations being had in the public. So we need to ask questions of these candidates specifically concerning the human rights of prisoners. And we'll have that con- uh, uh, focusing on prisoners' health care. What do they have access to? What What is the uh, quality of the current health care they receive? How many prisoners have, have died from, you know, medical neglect? Can prisoners who have Medicaid going in lose that coverage upon arrest, conviction? And, and then what about felony status? How does that affect a person in their health care needs? So we want to have that conversation on the other side. But let me tell you about Die Jim Crow. This is what you'll find on the website. And we definitely have, have linked to it. You can go to diejimcrow.com. But here's here's an excerpt from, from the website, which is a beautiful website, by the way, as a person uh, who builds websites and can appreciate, you know, the aesthetics and what have you. But Die Jim Crow is a multimedia concept al- album about the black American experience in the era of mass incarceration. It is the first album ever recorded in multiple U.S. prisons. The full-length Die Jim Crow LP will be released in 2020. That That's next year, y'all, with an accompanying documentary and book. So they, they hit in all the areas of, of media that uh, it, all the forms of media take shape. Uh, the LP features 20-plus original tracks written and performed by currently and formerly incarcerated musicians from across the country. The majority of lyricists and vocalists on the Die Jim Crow LP are self-identifying as black. Well, we definitely have a lot of people who identify as black on the Black Talk Radio Network, so I feel y'all on that. Uh, Musicians of all backgrounds, formerly or currently in prison, contribute composition and instrumentation. So y'all check that out. But we're going to listen to um, a few seconds of Die Jim Crow headed to the streets. Um, it's not the radio clean version, so we won't be able to hear it in its entirety. But we'll definitely post it to social media where y'all can get access to it. And we'll get some radio clean versions that we can you know, share on our station, on the different programs. We definitely want to support um, this project. So Let's let's give it a listen. Yeah, what's happening, baby? Here I come. 
headed to the streets I'll be digging, finding, searching for whoever got it cheap I'll be ripping, robbing, murking, trying to settle on my beat Had a dream like Martin Luther It was killed by Freddy Cougar Gotta live to find my purpose Not accepting this defeat I wake up sweating in my shoes Every time I go to sleep I'll be headed to the all right, so that's Die Jim Crow uh, from the uh, LP. This is headed to the streets, and we're going to bring in our co-hosts, and I believe we have all our guests on the line, but the state organizers, we're going to let Maxwell Melvins uh, introduce everyone and take over the show. All right, exactly. Hey, greetings to you, Maxwell. Greetings uh, to you as well as Taysan and Mother Khadija. Exactly. I believe we have uh, Fury Young, producer of the Die Jim Crow Project, that's on the line. Hopefully, DL Terrell is along with him right now. Yeah. Fury. All right. How you doing? So, hey, yeah, yeah. All right. What we're going to do first is we're going to let uh, Fury come in. As you pretty much covered what it was about, we're going to let Fury Young, the producer of the Die Jim Crow Project, come in and, and kind of give you a little more uh, insight as to what the Die Jim Crow Project is about. And how he came up with the concept of the Dodge Code. And uh, this is Maxwell Melvins, and I'll, I'm going to turn it over to Ferry to do an introduction of yourself. Hey, Maxwell, and everybody, thank you for having me on the show. It's definitely a pleasure to be a part of it. Yeah, and right. uh, I'm Fury Young, and I'm the producer of Dodge Pro, and very happy to be working with D.L. Sherrell and Maxwell Melvins on this project. So, as your awesome host just mentioned, um, pretty thorough explanation there. It was straight from the website and very well read, so I don't really need to rehash that, but this is um, the first of its kind. It is a concept album about the black American experience, the era of mass incarceration, and what I do is I go into prisons across the country and I record original music with folks inside who, you know, most likely wouldn't have their voices heard otherwise. And I also work with formerly incarcerated artists in several states across the country. And um, so my background is I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I, my background originally was in film. And um, when I was about 23 years old, I got really interested in activism. And um, though I've never been incarcerated and I'm also I'm not black, I'm a white Jewish guy from the Lower East Side of New York City. Um, I had known several people who'd been incarcerated growing up, and um, the issue was pretty dear to my heart. And when I read the book, The New Jim Crow, I had like a light bulb go off in my head. And I decided that I wanted to make a concept album about this issue. I was also listening to a lot of albums by the classic rock band Pink Floyd, and they're, they're like masters at the concept album, um, having the whole record be a story you know so in this case it's a Dijon crow it starts from pre-prison and then getting locked up and going inside the system and then coming out and the final act is actually re-entry and so that was um the impetus and that was in 2013 that was six years ago and um it's taken me a while to get where we're at but you know, I work with over 40 people in prison across the country, uh, about 13 people formerly incarcerated, and the, the EP, which is six songs, which you just heard a little snippet of, 
the sixth track headed to the streets. That's out right now. So if you go to DigimCrow.com, you can hear that in its entirety and five other songs. That um, was released in 2016, and then the full-length LP will be out in late 2020. So definitely look out for that, and that's my intro. Thank you. But, uh, yes, but Ferry, thank you for the intro, but uh, I want you to, uh, it's possible to go into a little detail of uh, the diversity of the album and the, the different tracks on the album and people's uh, being that, you know, sharing their own personal experience, you know, of the diversity of the album. I would like you to expound and elaborate on that a little more to let them know what this is about, of the racism and the, you know, to end the mass incarceration in the United States, to go a little more in detail about what it is about. I mean, you and, and the host, uh, Brother Scotty, went into detail, but there's a whole lot more details and, and importance of what this, this is Jim Dye, Jim Crow Project. It's a movement. It's not just a project. It's a movement. Right, and, right. Yeah. And, um, you okay. know. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm happy to go more into detail. So I alluded to it a bit in my intro. So there are it's a three-act structure. So Act 1 is pre-prison, Act 2 is prison, and Act 3 is re-entry. And what it is is all these different artists um, from all over the country, whether they be northerners or southerners or old-timers or youngsters or in for a murder charge or a drug charge or guilty or innocent, all these people, men and women, all these people contribute their story. And my job as producer is to coalesce it into a narrative that complements every song. One song bleeds into the next song and so forth. So the way that that plays out, to go into detail on the forthcoming LP, is that the record starts, and, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but basically no. the album starts with... Um, <clears throat> You're growing up in a neighborhood that is poorly educated, like the education is bad in the public schools, and a lot of folks have a very abusive parents, and they're surrounded by, you know, role models who are, some of them are drug dealers, and eventually they, you know, get caught up in that lifestyle, and let's say they get sentenced, and they're sentenced to a life sentence maybe because of the color of their skin and then they go into the system and that part of the album talks about all types of stuff so solitary confinement and prison food and losing loved ones while you're in the on the inside and just so many different aspects and then when you come home it's like wow i did the time i paid my debt to society but why do i have all these invisible barriers or some not so invisible barriers you know, all around me. Like, I can't vote, I can't get housing, I can't find employment, I can't see my kids, and so forth. So that's a bit more in detail just about the LP. And then I think, yeah. Maxwell, some of what you're alluding to also is that, um, you know, this is a project that works in, right now, five different states, the Department of Corrections. So Ohio, Colorado, Mississippi, South Carolina, Yes. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. You can also explain to them of, of how we came in contact also in uh, the various projects that we've already done as far as uh, your multi-series that you've done on me and uh, different things and introductions. Also. Right, right. You know? Yeah, for sure. So so with the artist... I just want to on something that um, he said... 
is Esther. What you say, Brother Cezanne? Southwood. Huh? I just want to alliterate on something about it. Yeah, but we want to try to let him go ahead and explain, and then we're going to have a segment where we can talk and go back and forth with answers and just let him, you know, get out everything. But go ahead if you need to so you don't lose your thought right now, and it's all right. What he was just saying, we didn't want to sit back on Oh, I can't hear you guys. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry. This is. We just this wanted to ask pretty much what happened with the project. Like, how did they, how did they have to be. Okay, let me let me do this. I'm sorry, this Scotty, uh, the technical producer. Um, your audio is terrible. Um, you know, this seems to be an issue with y'all particular line. Y'all might want to try the other line or a different phone or device, but you're breaking up and we couldn't hear you. Um, so let's try it one more oh. time. Um, Khadijah, can can you try that question one more time? Okay, looks like they hung up. Maxwell, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yeah. All right, but as we were saying, go ahead, Barry. Uh, you can... Yeah, with with what I was saying before. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we work in those prisons, those states that I just named, but then with formerly incarcerated artists, we're able to do a lot more. So, um, for instance, B.L. Sherell and Maxwell Melvin and I last month were at a college in Illinois where we did a keynote presentation and. Uh, we've done several events around the New York City area, um, and um, what we're hoping to do when the funding comes in and this really gets off the ground and we're releasing more content is we would love to do a world tour and in the U.S. focus on areas where mass incarceration, especially amongst black communities, is hitting the hardest. Um, now, Maxwell, you did ask me about how we came to meet, and I will briefly discuss that because it's pretty yeah, interesting. Well. We actually met on Facebook, which is funny. I had known about Maxwell Melvin's Project Lifers group for years, and I'm kind of like a prison music nerd when it comes to like music that's been recorded in U.S. prisons. I know all about, you know, the prisoners and the Lifers group and the escorts and the Gory Girls and all that. Yeah. And so I had known about Lifers group for a while, but um, I didn't you know, know who to contact, and eventually I did some research in 2017 and um, found out that Melvin's was really the spearhead behind the Lifers group, so found him on Facebook, and we connected, and we decided that what would be cool is to do a video interview, and so we did that, and afterwards it went really well, it was like three hours, and Maxwell gave me a ton of archive footage from the 90s when Lifers Group was in full swing and when they were nominated for the Grammy, etc. And so what I did is I edited this three-part interview series that you can check out online. Just go on Maxwell Melvin's interview, Die Jim Crow, on YouTube, and it'll pop up. And I think it came out really well, and it, it incorporates all that footage from the early 90s with the interview we did in 2017. And since then, we've been working together, and like I said, we've been doing events together. Um, he did some vocals on a track for the LP called Yard Politics. So the collaboration has been very fruitful thus far. Yes, exactly. And also, Perry, thank you very much, and you will be coming chiming back in. And we have uh, B.L. Terrell online. 
also who's a part of the Guy Pro Project, who's very multi-talented guitar player, singing, uh, whatever person, and, you know, she's uh, a, a lot of different things. So I uh, want you to kind of, like, explain and, uh, you know, be us real to give them a little information about yourself and what you do and who you are and some of the things that you got coming up and how you're involved in this mass incarceration thing of how we're trying to change the prison narrative through music. Uh, for sure. Um, my name is Bill Sherell, guys. I'm a, a songwriter, a performer uh, that's primarily a rapper. Um, I got in touch with Fury while I was incarcerated in Muncie State Prison. And when I began working on the project, I jumped on with them at that point. Um, but I also, you know, have some solo work also. Um, I've actually found myself more so in the uh, public speaking uh, space and things of that nature lately, so I'm just kind of going wherever, you know, my career takes me. But uh, pretty much um, I was born in the late 80s. My mother was a, a drug addict. Um, by the time I was maybe 11 or 12, I was into the family business selling drugs. You know, me and my mother were like partners in crime, getting locked up together, stuff like that. Um, so I was pretty much the, the product of what exactly what they wanted to happen to the kids who were born in the late 80s um, in, in, in my area. Um, and I went to prison very early. I went to placements. I was always a very intelligent kid, but since I was surrounded by, you know, so much drugs and, you know, so much violence and just that particular lifestyle, um, I went to placements very early. From there, I went to prison very early, 17 years old. Um, shot by the cops a couple of times, uh, you know, things of that nature. And um, I came home from my first sentence. I did a six-year sentence when I was 17 years old, 6 to 12. Um, I came home when I was 24, and there were no real resources for me out here at that time. And I didn't have the patience, I guess. I wasn't expecting it to be so hard. I thought since I did so much and I did so many classes and I applied myself and, you know, I thought I was going to be able to just come out here, you know, feet to the ground, just, you know, successful, and that, that wasn't the case. So I wound up um, reverting back to old habits, um, went back to prison again uh, for three years and three months at that time, and I came out when I was 28. Um, after that, I think that's when I realized pretty much that step is when I realized the fix that was in for my life. Up until that point, I wasn't really conscious of, you know, why my life took the, the, the toll it took, took the, the, the road it took. But I've always used music as like a therapeutic thing. I've been, you know, doing music since I was maybe four or five years old. Um, so now I'm trying to just take that same passion that I've always had my whole life and use it as a way to hold myself accountable and responsible for people who I left behind in that, uh, in that environment. And also what you're trying to share your experiences so that they won't have to live the life that you lived and the things and by educating them by way of one of your greatest talents which is music and through the, the message of hip hop or music you're trying to enlighten them. Uh, correct, um, correct, yes. correct. But I don't, I don't do it in a, I don't do it in a preaching fashion. No, exactly. I, I, I more so do it introspectively, 
and you know, and we can we can we can try to break down psycho analytically why I do the things I do, but I don't yeah. try to force it down people's throats like, hey, you know, don't do that because this is gonna happen. I just tell it how it is, you know. I tell it how my thought process goes. Um, I rationalize the things in my mind. You know, when you're a kid and you you're like selling crack to your mother when you're 12, it's hard to not sell it to. Uh, the random pregnant lady down the street, you know, your morals and your ethics and things are affected, you know, by your childhood trauma. And um, I just want people to understand that they can gain those things back. They can gain those ethics back at a point. Um, you don't always have to be like that your whole life, right? So I, that's a, that's just my way of, you know, spreading the message without coming off preachy. I just tell my story. I still have my struggles, you know, uh, you know, I was raised in a, a certain way, so I have certain values that. You're from a rugged city. You're actually. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. So, yes, so, yes. so people would consider. Right. So, <laughs> so people would consider some of the things that you know, like I still don't believe in renting. I still don't believe in snitching. You know, and it's like some of those things are probably things that maybe I should correct, but I would never ever believe in renting. But. I can still hold some of those values without placing myself into a criminal lifestyle, basically. Yeah. So that's 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 my that's my way of trying to let them know you still are who you are. You know, some of those values are never going to go away, but that doesn't mean that your actions can't change. Your actions can change. Um, once you come to fix it, then you know it's yeah. it's your choice whether you want to walk in the hole or not at that point. So it's about education. It's about realizing. What's happening? It's about realizing how much money is being made by you being there, um, you know. And you know, I try to tell my son these things all the time. Um, at a young age, I'm trying to get him to understand that this is bigger than your life. This is about a lot of money is on is on the line. So, BL Sherell, yeah. this is uh, Scotty, uh, the producer. Uh, thank you, and um, again for coming on tonight with Fury Young. Something you just no problem, said, my though, pleasure. Something you just said, though, I never really heard anybody in rap speak on it. Because rap is telling stories. Uh, some are just more, you know, better at telling the story and then you, you know, have other forms of rap. But something you said, mm -hmm. I really thought about. And it seemed like you were talking about losing your humanity and perhaps having a um, need to forgive yourself for things that you were forced to do out there on the streets as what I call them crimes of survival. But you touched upon the morality of it as right. well. Because, I, you know, I can, re I can relate to that because I remember when I had gotten out the military and was in an uh, impoverished situation with a family to feed and a cousin was like, we can make some money this way. And then I was confronted with those images and like my cousin was like, yo man, we got to break this dude's fingers. And I was like, man, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because it challenges your, your morality and, and you know, you can lose your humanity through those acts. Right. Now, depending on where your morality was from the beginning, so 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 I had a grandmother who was an angel. She was, you know, guardian angel. She was like my mother. So thank God for her, because without her, I don't know what would have happened. But I had a mother who was like a sister. So everything that she went through and all her life experiences, she never not once lied to me. You know how you try to protect kids from the truth and things like that? 
I mean, when I was six years old, my mom was full-fledged out there on crack, and it was a lot of violence and stuff in my house. And my mom gave me a gun and said, listen, if something ever happens, I want you to be able to protect this house. I was the oldest child, but I was only six. So, but I was mature enough to understand not to ever play with it or show my friends it. You know, I was I was one of those kids that was that just grew up really, really super fast. So it depends on where your morality starts at, right? Because if, if that was me in the situation of breaking somebody's fingers, I would have broken with no problem because my, my morality was so, it was so low. It started at such a low point, right? And then I had my grandmother who was there who was telling me these good things and these wise things, and, you know, but at the same time, she wasn't able to offset the things that I seen daily in my house every day, every day, every day, and the trauma that I had to experience every day, every day, every day, you know? So it depends on, you know, how um, how low your morality starts. Some of these kids come from good houses. Some of these kids come from good places, and they want to be, you know, like I struggle with that with my son. My son, you know, he has his own bathroom. He got a white picket fence. He got all he wants, and it seems as though he wants, you know, like some type of street image or etiquette. You know, so some people come from a high morality place. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it just all depends on which level, which level you, you know, you started. I think. Let me, let me give out the phone number and uh, open up the lines so the other hosts can get in. Hopefully, their audio problems are cleared up. They're on the other line, but the mm-hmm. telephone number okay. is seven zero four eight zero two fifty fifty six seven zero four eight zero two fifty fifty six. If you have a question or comment for our special guest tonight, um, who are working on this very important. Um, Die Jim Crow project, which is a, uh, which Maxwell was saying is more than just a music project, it's a movement. So give us a call. But I do believe that uh, Mother Khadija and Tyson was trying to get in on. Let's see if their audio's any better. Um, yes. You guys are unmuted. Go ahead, please. Okay. I just hi. I just want to welcome uh, Brother Young and Brother Sister Sherelle. This is Mother Khadija and Tyson McCollum with Prison Street Top Ministries. And you really touched on a lot of, you know, I just want to say I'm very proud of you because you could have went a whole different way. You could have been a repeat offender and not break that pattern. And I had a question because a lot of youth always have excuses as to why they, you know, do what they do, whether it was their brothers did it, their mama did it. What advice or what would you say to the Mm -hmm. listeners, especially the young listeners, to stay focused? Because, you know, we all have a past. But how, you know, right. what made you change? That's what I want the listeners to know because you're a success walking testimony for a change. Right. And I just the listeners to know, how did you overcome your mental struggle? So I, um, the first time I got arrested, I was in that space of, you know, I didn't have a choice. Um, I learned how to cook cocaine when I was 12 years old. My mother taught me. Um, so I was born and bred for this. So I was very angry. I was angry with my mother. I was angry with my father, who had the opportunity to come and take me out of that situation, you know, to prevent any of that from happening. And he chose to kind of just stay on the sideline and come around every few months and check on me. Um, And then I had to realize that at some point I had a choice. Regardless if I was young, regardless of the circumstances, I still had a choice. I was always an intelligent person. 
So when I did things that were wrong, I knew they were wrong. And at some point, you just have to choose not to do the wrong thing. It's just as simple as making decisions. And every, every day, I have this one song that I wrote that I listen to every single day before I go to work. And it's just a reminder to me. You know, it's some, some of the things that I say in it is a reminder to me, like, don't, don't, don't fall into it. Because what, what jail and prison do, do to you is it takes your self-confidence. It makes you think that you're not smart. It makes you think that you're an animal. It makes you, they strip you all the way down. So depending on how broken you were when you came in, it may determine if you want to be able to rectify yourself or not. So you have to just get your confidence back up. You have to believe that you can, you know, survive in a normal society as a as right. a, a law-abiding citizen. You have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you won't you won't do it. I tip my hat off to you because um, you are an inspiration to the women, and um, I have been through the same, you know things that you've been through in life, you know what I mean, coming coming from a home and being and having to do, like I'm the oldest child of six, so I had to do things my way because I felt like it was more beneficial as far as being able to be able to provide for myself because I was the oldest of six, I had nothing, you know, my younger right. brothers and sisters came first, so it was like I had to get out there in the streets, I had to do this, you know what I'm saying, I made a choice and decision. Yes to do things on my own. I've been incarcerated most of my life. You know what I'm saying? So right. I understand your struggle and you're very powerful. Your voice is 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 a key to the young sister's success, man, because when you give your testimony about how you had to live your life and that was because of choice the way we grew up, you know what I'm saying? Some people don't understand that something even though it's a bad decision that we make it's no other way because they didn't give us an opportunity. They didn't give us a way to be able to live. There was nobody there to take care of us or help us when our parents wasn't doing the things that they needed to do to provide for us to make sure we didn't grow up in a situation or the environment that we did. So we had to, we had, we had to use our street sensibilities and our survival mode to be able to survive in these streets. And that's what people don't understand. They look at it, oh, you made a choice or you did this. You're a criminal. You did this. No. This is the way the government and the community made it for us as black black people, black women, you know, black black men. They made this community yeah. this way because they didn't want us to succeed. They didn't want us to provide for our family. They didn't want the kids, well, as they say, Negro kids, to be able to prosper and do what it is that these these major leagues and these these these, these Caucasians do. So this is a struggle yeah, and, that we had to endure. And it's and it's amazing that the way how my how my situation played out, it was almost the blueprint to how they wanted it. When they introduced crack, my mother got on crack. Then when she had her kids, her kids, you know, some of them were born on crack, some of them, you know, became drug dealers. Some of them, you know, it, it, it was just like the blueprint. Like, yes, this is what we want to happen. This is this week the plan. Right, so now, some years later, I, 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 I can't speak. I can't speak on this without saying that my mother has 12 years clean now, and she's actually my boss at my job. Mm -hmm. So when I came home from prison, she was the one that was able to get me employed in the marketing research company. So things have came full circle mm -hmm. for both of us. So I can't speak on it without acknowledging the fact that even my mother also has changed her life, also, which right. I'm very proud of. Um, right. But you know, it, 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 it was almost. The perfect storm. It's almost like 
I can I can see the the this is how it's going to work, and I it's just it amazes me how it worked so often, and it seems to be our people take a couple decades to catch on to things, right? So like, well, it take a couple decades to be like, wait, we don't want to be segregated, we want to be together. Oh wait, we don't want to be you know mass incarcerated. We want it takes a couple decades. Every time they shift the discrimination and the race, the systematic racism, it takes us two or three decades to catch on and try to make change. Well, you know, so right. well, I need to uh, interject here, Maxwell. Um, we need to get ready to wind down. Right. 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 All right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but let me say, well, before anything, we are we are we are Sorrell and very young. We're going to you you all will be coming back on here again. It's humanly impossible that we could get everything out tonight. But yeah, I would like to come back. No, we will be bringing y'all back shortly to do an additional uh, the three-part series or beyond that because it's important the message that y'all bring and everything so you will be coming back it was humanly impossible because of other commitments and things that you have to do as well that I understand and you will be yeah. coming on and you know again but as he said we're going to really wind down but right now <clears throat> what I want to say to you if you want to give anybody any information of how to get in contact with you and to reach you and to share and how they may have and, and also give Mr. Young uh, some time for some final comments. Yes, we're going to do that. Well. No, I got yeah. him. No, we got him, Scotty. We got okay. him. We got him. I, Great. While she's on, I want her to go ahead and give out all your information, Bill, about how they okay. can reach yeah. you. And yeah, if you, if, you, if you want to reach me, you can reach me on uh, email, Gmail, BLS. As in Sam, H I is in India, R is in Roger, E is in Echo, two L's is in Larry, E is in Echo. I work in market research, so I'm used to that military whatever thing is. That's B L Sherelle. I'm also um, Facebook, Instagram, B L Sherelle. Also B L S H I R E L L E. I will be in. Yes, YouTube, SoundCloud, all of it is B L Sherelle. B dot L Sherelle. Um, I'll be in D.C. on Saturday for our courts, our communities. I'll be speaking on a panel about um, the judges that we decide to elect into office, um, into chambers, rather. Um, so if anybody's in the D.C. area out there listening, um, check that out. It's going to be a wonderful panel with some uh, people from FemMinutes.org. And my project will be dropping pretty soon. It's called Restricted Movement 2. I have one out already called Restricted Movement 1, and I am on the Dijam Coke Project as a writer and a, uh, and a performer. Yeah, and collaborator. Yeah. And uh, all right, BL Sherelle. And like I said, as again, we'll be coming back on. We're going to bring in Mr. Fury Young right now, producer of the Dijam Coke Project. Fury. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you, could you share how they any last messages or any words of hope you that you can give people out there, and also of how they may reach the Die Jim Crow Project, or how they may obtain the uh, products of the Die Jim Crow Project and support the Die Jim Crow Project, and how they may get in contact with you by social media or Die Jim Crow Project or whatever. Yeah, definitely. So I'll start with that. The contact info is diejimcrow.com. It's spelled just like it sounds, Die, D-I-E, Jim Crow, J-I-M-C-R-O-W. And we have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. It's all very 
findable on dodgeandcrow.com. Um, you can reach us through any of those platforms. The email is dodgeandcrow at gmail.com. And um, you can listen to the record and buy it on our website as well. And the book, we put out an art book for the Dijon Crow EP. Oh, excuse me. And you like can I also explain to them the fact that Dijon Crow is a nonprofit, uh, 501c32, uh, nonprofit incorporation. You can also let them know that, what we are. And all of the proceeds will go back into the nonprofit and for the continuation of our programming in prisons across the country. So I, I want to leave you guys with this um, very unrehearsed and off the dome, but I'll put it to you like this. Um, the people that I work with are extremely inspiring. Hearing B.L. Sherrell's testimony just now is extremely inspiring. The, I was saying before how I got into this because I had known people who have been locked up, and um, really the guy who pushed me the most I want to give a shout-out to right now. He passed away in 2015, oh, but yeah, this yeah. was a guy who I knew growing up, and he was in a wheelchair, and hit, half of his body was paralyzed and he had AIDS and all these other health conditions. But um, he was one of the most joyous people I had ever met. And I was very drawn to him for that reason. And he became and like he a mentor also, to me. Who was he close to? Who was he, he was Muhammad to? Ali's bodyguard. And um, so that, that testimony of his, of, of, of inspiration inspiring others, after being through incarceration and so much struggle and having AIDS and being in this wheelchair and being a former drug addict, drug dealer, and you name it, all that stuff showed me that there's so much beyond just the horrible stereotypes that you see in the media of people who are formerly incarcerated, people who are from the streets. These are people that even though I was never in the street life like that, I grew up around them and I saw the humanity my whole life. So... I'll leave it at that. Die Jim Crow is about bringing that humanity to a mainstream audience and to a public that has such a misconception about what yeah. people in prison are like and what people who are formerly incarcerated are like and, as well. So please check hopes, it out, and thanks, yeah. everyone, for having me. And, Terry, you will be coming back on here, I'm sure. We will be looking forward to you yes. and Sorrell to be coming back on here. And, again, as you said, Die Jim Crow Project is about giving those hope that has lost hope and being that voice for those that don't feel they have a voice. That is what's Right, and also showing, thanks, Maxwell, also showing the different sides to it. Like, I liked what Mo, what B.L. Sherrell was saying about, there's a, it's not just about saying, oh, this is the right way to do it, kids. Follow my footsteps. It's about oh, there's also this dark side to it, and there's there's also these ways that yeah, I did screw up, and well, I'm, it's very complicated. So we need well, like to be to honest with everyone yeah. and show yeah. all these different sides to the story. Yes, yeah. very. Important. I like to add this while you're on there. I like to add this. Yeah, all the decisions that I make in my life right now is not based off of whether I will get caught or not or go to prison or because I'm scared of going to prison. No. Decisions that I make now in my life is based on because it's the right thing to do morally. You know what I'm saying? It's not because I'm afraid to get caught or not. It's because it's the right thing to do. Some people, I mean, whatever keeps people free of doing whatever they do out there, whatever works for you. But as I said, my decisions are based off a higher level of moral reasoning is what my decisions are. 
And sometimes it's hard to break our old habits and everything because we build up so many different layers in our head. And to get through them, we're going to get resistance from our own selves sometimes when we're trying to change. Change is not strength. Change is a, a change is spiral, and it's a process. And as it took me to when I went to prison at age 19 to get to that level, it might take me just as long to undo those learned behaviors and patterns that I've learned over the course of 19 years. And uh, this yeah. is Maxwell Melvin just sharing that with you out there. And you have my fellow comrades down here, Gail Sherrell from Die Jim Co Project of Restricted Movement, and Trevor Young, producer of the Die Jim Co Project. I thank y'all for coming on. We will be yes, y'all for coming again. Thanks a lot. All right, Definitely. thank y'all. Thank y'all you. have a wonderful night. All right, have a good night. Peace, peace. Okay, um, we're not going to take a break tonight. Uh, station identification break because we come to the close of the show. We're going to get better, y'all. Remember, we have all new hosts, new panelists, got uh, hardware issues, equipment issues to still work out. But but we're doing the best that that we can under the circumstances. We're still getting out those voices and and the message that needs to be heard uh, out there. So the last thing, though, before we close out, I'm changing up again the format. We're only going to do an hour uh, in the future, we may extend it back to two hours, but until you know we get our um, chemistry right, going cool. and flowing, we'll do one hour. So that means I'm also cutting out those other segments, and unless we, you know, they come up uh, during uh, any final yeah. thoughts, I might yeah. mention something. Yeah. But right now, I want to turn the conversation quickly. We only have like about nine minutes, and I really want. Um, you know, Mother Khadija uh, Scotty, to Scotty, weigh in. Before, hold up. I, I would like to say something real quick before we close out. I have some very important information to share. Yes, Maxwell, want. what's it? I wasn't going to share. I was invited. I'm going to be speaking on April the 6th at Harvard University on hip-hop education. I was invited to speak to, at Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts. All right. On April the 6th, I'm doing a hip-hop presentation on at the school of graduation at Harvard University on April the 6th, and I, I just think it's a, a great thing it is. for me the opportunity to step into that arena because it's diversified and it's showing your genre of music, of hip-hop, where it is, it's the most listened to and everything. And I was invited, and they felt that my story, out of all the stories that they had to choose from, that my story was a great story that they wanted to do, and I, I was chosen, and I will be doing a presentation there on this uh, April the 6th. Okay, Max, that's great news, that man. That's great news. That's great yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, great opportunity yeah, yeah. for you to share the message. Um, so, yeah, exactly. so let me ask this question, um, particularly pr- of a Prison Street Talks ministry. So, like, you know, right now during this presidential uh, campaign, right now they're running for the nomination, uh, the votes in 2020, uh, November of 2020, so we're still over a year out. But you got all these politicians yeah. out here talking about this policy, that policy. I'm going to do this for this set of people. I'm going to do that for yeah. that set of people yeah. or, or what have you. But, you know, what I'm not hearing is any questions from audiences. And I know how studio audiences work. CNN just got busted for planting yeah. some, some people in the audience and asking. What? 
uh, certain types of questions framed a certain kind of way. But nobody's really yeah. talking about prisoners' human rights, you know, issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the United States is a major offender when it comes to prisoners' human rights. Now, I'm yeah. glad yeah. the U.N. Exactly panel. Exactly are. I'm glad the U.N. Human Rights Panel um, this past week or, yeah, this past week, uh, you know, mentioned prisoners' human rights and what have yeah. you, and it's getting international uh, uh, recognition. But, it, it, but you yeah. know, it's a shame, though, that somebody that don't even live in this country that's at the U.N., you know, probably sitting in New York, though, but they yeah. don't know really the, what's going on inside the United States. They don't really know how evil and wicked, you know, their system of neo-slavery through the prisons yeah. really is and how horribly yeah. humans are, are are treated. But, you know, those yeah. of us who live here, you would think that we'd be making a lot of noise about that if we exactly. got campaigns going out there. So when we ask these people yeah. these questions, let's say Medicare for all. Well, does that, mm -hmm. well, Bernie Sanders, you're a big proponent of, of Medicare for all. Does that cover all uh, U.S. citizens, including the ones in prison? Because remember, once well, they've been convicted under the 13th Amendment, they're not even citizens anymore. So, so well, what's, you uh, know, so it's just so many questions, but... Uh, guys, what are what are some of the answers to these questions? What are prisoners I'm, I'm exactly facing? I'm going to some of them, Brother Scotty. I'm going to okay, go ahead. Under the United States Constitution, United States citizens, meaning your people that are out here in the free world that haven't even been convicted of a crime, are not guaranteed medical health care. But one of the things that I can say under the United States Constitution that all prisoners are guaranteed health care while they're in prison. That's but, not true. That's and, not true. That's not a no, fact. No, 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 no. Yes, it prison, is. But when we, when no, we come well, out to the not, street. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, hold on, let, let him finish this. Out of 32 states, not, 16 states. Calm down. Don't provide health care. Calm down. But calm down. Let, let, let him finish. It's it one thing true. to guarantee no, something. You listen, you're not listening. You, you, you're saying something that... No, but that's not true. Tyson, 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 please, man, please. Tyson, let me say what I'm saying. Then you can say what you want to say. Incarceration in North Carolina. I just went through that. Let me say what I was released from Southwood. They had to put down that I was declined from medical care. I know what you went through. Let me say what I need to say. Then you can talk. Let me finish saying a statement. Then you can talk if you disagree. I'm not talking about. What you personally went through in uh, North Carolina, that's, that's, I'm telling you, I'm, let me finish. I'm telling you what, um, I'm telling you what all prisoners are guaranteed under the United States Constitution. I'm not talking about how they treated you and what they didn't right. do. As a lot of other, well, I'm not finish, talking as about that. I'm talking about when he asked a question me, about uh, you how do Medicare treat us I know what he when we come out here. Not everybody is guaranteed oh, Medicaid. Only, yes, only you a are. certain amount of states that. you're not going to have no understanding if you don't let me finish. He said, Brother Top. Oh, my God. He asked me the question. You let me finish. And I can provide the information of the question that he asked. He said, Listen, let, uh, again, let me finish. Let me hey, answer this, for this me. Is, this is becoming answer. very unconstructive, fellas. Um, it's not productive No, 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 no. Let um, me finish, brother. If you can answer anything you want to say, but let me finish what I'm saying. Under 
the United States Constitution, every inmate is guaranteed it. I didn't say they gave it to you. I'm telling you what the United States Constitution says. This is where you misunderstanding, Brother Faison, and you're going to have to be patient sometimes and let me finish what I'm saying to get a full understanding of what I'm saying. Under the United States Constitution, every prisoner in the, in the United States is guaranteed medical health care. Did I say they gave it to them? No, but they are guaranteed it, meaning it's in the United States Constitution. They don't give it to them, they don't apply it, but it's guaranteed, and they're the only one that's guaranteed. You can be out here in the free world, and you're not guaranteed. As a free citizen, you're not guaranteed that. Now, I didn't say they applied it, because I know what you went through. So we're not going to personalize this. We're going to generalize it. I know what you went through in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina and how they denied you of all your rights and everything. But I'm saying what the United States Constitution guarantees. So we're talking constitutional violations. You didn't hear that part. And and again, we're talking constitutional violations, and this is why I'm saying when I hear Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris or Elizabeth, anybody who's talking about Medicare for all, they're saying that health care is a human right. So what 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 yes, Maxwell I'm just saying is yes. Maxwell is saying is well it is guaranteed access to uh um is guaranteed by the Constitution for prisoners and nobody else and so he's right yes. but in terms of the quality of that care in terms of whether that care is withheld in terms of whether you suffer medical neglect or what that's not what we're talking about we're talking about or if they yeah. are applying or if they are applying. No, yes. they're not. I understand that. But what I'm saying, now, when you come home, is it guaranteed to you? No. But what has changed is, under the Obamacare and different things, those things are available. If people go down to social services and apply those things, yes, do, do they always give you what is applied, and do they follow regu- uh, regulation, rules, and policies? No. But by way of law and statutes, is there for you. My thing is not saying, I know what they did to Brother Tyson there in Charlotte, North Carolina, or wherever he was incarcerated. I know what his wife did and how the news media came in, how they put him in themselves and deprived him of his medical attention. And I know everything that they did to him, but and I understand how he became emotionally because of how they affected him personally. But we're not dealing with how it affected us. We're dealing with an overall issue right now. So I can understand you getting a little upset right now. But you asked a generalized question, and I'm telling you what the law says is. Just like the, the, the 13th Amendment, and slavery is not abolished, it's not abolished. You understand, Brother Scott, it's not abolished. It's still there. And what and, 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 and encouraged them to keep us under that because we had that arrest that allows that under the Constitution. And do they apply certain things? There's a lot of things that are guaranteed by law and statutes, and they do not apply it to us. That's why you have appeals and court decisions every day. That's why you have questions in the United States Supreme Court because yeah. they don't apply the law. Yeah, that's like that's like, that's like Momia Abu Jamal. Uh, suing the state of Pennsylvania to force yes, them to treat yes. his help. See, so so you have the rights, and you can go, and prisoners can go through the courts. And and but what I'm saying though is it's not being enforced like it wasn't enforced for Brother Tyson. So if I'm talking to a presidential candidate, I'm like, what will yeah. you do to ensure yeah. that all exactly. prisoners' uh, exactly. health care rights 
are respected. Yeah, exactly. The M4. Because they're they like would, Tyson is. They would have to mandate. Right. Mandate again. To reiterate that. See, the United States Constitution states one thing. But then you got a state by state sometimes that do their own little own thing. So these. Uh, That's when the Justice Department would come they in. They have to mandate certain things, Brother Scotty. Right. Mandate. Just like all these collateral consequences that are. Uh, over 300 and something that are blocking people from housing and different things right now. No, you, we, it's like they're begging, you know, give these people a chance. No, they have to put laws, uh, implement these laws through legislative changes and things to mandate that these companies hire and mandate that these people provide Yeah, but, but, but Maxwell, um, the executive officer the CEO, Donald Trump, or whoever it may be, yeah. to simply order the Justice Department to do reviews and sue the states and all that, to force them yeah. to uh, uh, recognize yeah. the medical rights yeah. of all prisoners. Yeah. But listen, we got to run, man, so I, uh, Tyson and, and um, guess, Mother Khadijah uh, still say. needs to you know, give us their input on this question. Go, they can. Let him go ahead and say what he needs to yeah, say, go, but I just need go to ahead. say what I need to say because he didn't understand at first. Unless you let me finish a full sentence, you're not going to understand. I know what happened to him. Un understood. I think they're muted. Let me unmute them, Maxwell. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it was just a miscommunication. I don't think he heard you say that yeah, you were talking about inside no, of the no, there is. But just I know what, what we're talking about is what happens to ex-offenders or ex-prisoners when they come into the system. Because if they're taking care of it, when they come out of the system, I mean... So you don't have coverage, you know, they, they're supposed to be covered while they're locked up. Don't mean they're getting medical treatment, but they're supposed to be. But when they come out, you know, Medicaid, all that stuff is canceled. So what they have is they got certain states that actually have programs set up to, uh, to avoid all the fees associated with being locked up and, and just making sure that they have the medical treatment. Because, see, what they're not thinking of, what about those that have mental illness? Right, they need right. to obviously ongoing um, specifically all medical coverage because they have specific medicines they have to take, they have to be treated that's just mental illness patients that's coming out of the system so how do we tackle these issues how do we make sure everyone is getting medical insurance coverage even when they come out because by law you're supposed to have insurance so why are you denied right, why, why is this a huge issue to where people, they're already sick when they enter so what can we do, um, what can we really do to make sure that that is solved? Because not all states offer uh, medical coverage when you come out. Jersey does. I believe Ohio has a program set up. Well, he, uh, again, here, here's a solution, Mother Khadijah. Again, Scott, Scotty is running for president. Y'all voted for me. Now I'm the president. Now I'm going to contact my health and human services secretary and I'm going to say, you know what? You know those Medicaid or Medicare or block grants and matching funds that we give to the state so that they could provide medical care for, for the citizens of that state. Well, it, in order for them to qualify for these federal funds, matching funds, however way we're sending this money, um, then it cannot discriminate nor exclude people based on their incarceration status. That's how you, that's how you saw that. That's how politics work. You shouldn't need no more new legislation. When we're talking presidential, what the president can do, what that branch of government can do, right. 
He can put a lot of pressure. Hey, hey brother, really? Yeah. Did I say what I was going to say? Yeah, go ahead, brother well, I was Tyson. Saying, right? When I came home from Southwoods, New Jersey was going to give me Medicare because they didn't know whether I was going to stay in New Jersey or come back to Charlotte. Then, though, out of 32 states, 16 doesn't provide medical health care for prisoners who come out of prison. And Charlotte is one of them. North Carolina, period, is one of them. So when I came home with my health conditions, I got deteriorated discs in my lower back, and I also have, I need a knee replacement for my right knee because I messed my knee up playing ball. So when I got here, I had to decline my medical care because it does not provide me the same medical care in this state. So I couldn't get none of my medications, which was the asthma pump, or nothing that I needed. So they had to send me home with just a couple of months' worth of medication that would provide me with the medical concerns. You know what I mean? So this, this is what I'm saying, because this was one of the questions that we, we talked about before we got on air was about, you know, how does Medicaid help people who come from out of prison? I wasn't trying to cut Brother Maxwell off. I just went into the situation and the fact that this state does not provide us with with the benefits that New Jersey have. It does not provide us with medical care. I try to get my benefits out here for my disability. It does not provide the same opportunity that New Jersey provides. It's more resources in New Jersey than it is in North Carolina. That's just one of the points that I was trying to make, that all states do not provide the same information or the details of things that need to be done with within a brother and sister who are coming out from incarceration. There's less resources out here than it is in other states. You know, I didn't try all of this. I've been out here since 2012, you know. So I didn't try all these different resources out here. These people provide you with the the, the, the least, they, 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 you know what I mean, the least. They don't provide you with all the extra stuff that other states provide you. I've been trying to go through this right now, still battling on on social security and disability because I got the deteriorated this in my back. And it's preventing me from doing the work that I normally been doing, you know what I mean, which is right. labor. So, right, right. you know, that's that's my whole point, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not about, and, and, and even inside the walls, they don't provide you with the medical care. We had this conversation, Brother Reed, Couple, couple on weeks back about right, right, right. how these people does not eat. It's law. It's law. We can sit here and, 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 and state case law all day, but do they really do it? They don't even do the shit they're supposed to do out here on the streets when it comes to case law. Yeah, Look so, so that's why I'm saying on the news right now. They, 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 they switching the on the numbers on the ballots and 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 on the elections and things like that. So. Do we really want to sit here and talk about what they supposed to do opposes against what Well, well that's that's part of the conversation, Brother Tyson, knowing the law and knowing your avenues, because how else are you going to make them, I mean, you know, provide people with the care? So what we are talking about is a federal issue which should be proposed to pro- incoming administrations. What are these candidates talking about in terms of these disparities that we see exist with it not being universal coverage for prisoners in every different state. You know, it should be some federal. It should be, a, look, 
if you're going to tell me, sell me on Medicaid for all, then, and you're going to say that health care is a human right, well, prisoners and former prisoners are humans too. So they have to be covered. So th- these are some of the political issues that uh, we have to deal with these things. Or else it, it's not going to get done, you know, pending the revolution and we start over from scratch. So we had to use the avenues that are there for us to use. So we do need to close out the program again. want to thank our guests um, uh, for joining us uh, tonight. Um I'm sorry, I, Fury Young. Yeah, Fury Young was one of them, and the other one was D.L. Sherrell. Uh, make sure y'all check them out. They gave out their contact information. Make sure you support support the Die Jim Crow uh, project and the movement. All right. Recognize the fact also that you live behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. They still practice in slavery. It's legal via the 13th Amendment, which needs to be repealed and replaced with an amendment that makes no exceptions for slavery. Um, the only way that we can end slavery or any kind of injustice or oppression is for the oppressed to unite because it's more of the oppressed than it is of those who are oppressing us. And so we got to figure out ways to work together and uh, achieve these goals that will benefit humanity as a whole. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Join us again next week, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Black Talk Radio Network. Peace, everyone. Peace. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.